A good near of Shabbos to our friends and members at the Westmount Shul. Well, we're seeing a lot of interesting things going on this week in the world. And one is apparently one of the biggest bestsellers that after one day when this book came out from a prince and uh, it has the biggest sales in one day. Very interesting. What would the connection of that be to Parshas Shemos? And in general, we see a lot of books that are written that are quote-unquote tell-alls. And there seems to be a very great interest in people reading all about these tell-alls. And I'd like to look at that in light of this week's Parsha and see if this is something that Judaism approves of or not. And more than that, is that something we should be engaged in reading? What is the idea behind this? And in light of the fact as well that this week begins the period of time called the Shovavim period, where we introspect in terms of our holiness as a Jewish people in every aspect of what holiness is about. So I want to talk about this in light of the upcoming Parsha. And there's a number of interesting questions as we look in this Parsha, the very first Pasuk of the Elish Shemos. These are the names of the Jewish people. The Torah recounts the Jewish people another time. And the very first Rashi says, although they were counted in their lifetime together with their names, the Torah counts them again and when they did, died. And why? So it says, to make known that they are loved and compared to stars that are brought out and are returned by name and by number. So Rashi is telling us that the Jews are counted again. They were counted in last week's Parsha when they were alive. Now they're counted again when they're dead to show, to make known that Hashem loves the Bnei Yisroh. So the Sfas Emes asks a very simple question. To whom does God want to make this known to? Who's Hashem interested in telling us? Number one. Another question that the Yismach Yisrael asks is what does it mean to explain to count them when they're dead? What's the idea of counting them when they are dead? That's a second interesting issue. Another interesting issue that is uh, is brought by the Sfas uh, Emes uh, again. The Sfas Emes says when Moshe was uh, wondering why the Jewish people were suffering so much in the Egyptian exile. I mean, they certainly weren't as bad as the Egyptians. Why such horrific things were happening? And he didn't really have an answer to it. But Rashi explains that when he heard what Dawson and Aviram said, that they threatened to speak slander to him against Paro for killing the Egyptian who was beating up on them. So now Moshe says, now I understand why they are being enslaved. Now I understand there's Lush and Hara amongst them. And he understood they deserved to be enslaved in Gullahs to such a point when in the next chapter Hashem says, I'm going to take the Jews out. 
Moshe is saying, what merit do they have to be redeemed? So what is all that saying? It's showing something amazing about Lashon Hara. On the one hand, he couldn't believe why they were being enslaved. But when he followed out that they were being enslaved, he said, I know how they're going to get out. And indeed, how did they get out? Well, we will see shortly how. But these are a number of interesting questions that need to be analyzed. And finally, one more thing that may shed light on all of this. You know, Jews are very special people. We're so special that we sing songs to Hashem first and only the Malachim afterwards can sing songs. Now, what's the source for all this? Well, there's a midrash that says when Hashem created Adam Arishon, it says the Malachim beat Shulomar of Shira. They wanted to sing Lefanov, simple meaning is before him. They wanted to sing songs before him. And the simple meaning of the Medrash is they thought Adam was a god and they wanted to praise him. The Medrash continues immediately afterwards. Adam fell asleep and they said, oh, now we understand that he is a human being. Okay, I guess we won't sing praises to him. But the simple explanation of the Medrash is very difficult. Could it be that they thought Adam was a god and they wanted to sing Shira to him? That's the question that Ksav Sofer asks. So to understand all these concepts, let us go back to this idea of what we're dealing with as people are, are now in the last few years writing all their memoirs and all their tell-alls about what's going on. And if you look in Parshish Vayikra, when the Torah says that Hashem calls to Moshe and he spoke to him from the Ohel Moed Lamor, the Gemara teaches the word Lamor means to say over to others and the Talmud derives from this wording that one is not allowed to share information he's told in private unless the party who relates the information specifically authorizes its further transmission. This is known as Gilui Sod, revealing a secret. Now, in the secular world, where there's a concept of lawyer-client privilege and doctor-patient confidentiality, where they're not allowed to reveal. But it seems that's as far as it goes. And therefore, you see in the secular world that when you're involved in meetings with the president or with whoever it is or with family members, there seems to be no law that holds that back. While in Yiddishkeit, that's not true. And in Yiddishkeit, the whole point of Gilui Soid has a much broader scope that applies to every single Jew. Now, we know the famous Yalkut in Parshas Amor that says that in the merit of four things, the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. The three are well known. They didn't change their names, their language, and their mode of dress. The fourth source is enumerated in Medrash is that they did not speak Lashon Hara, gossip or slander. Aha! So as proof that they did not speak Lashon Hara in Egypt, the Medrash cites the fact that they were able to keep a secret. And the secret they kept refers to God's original message to Moshe in this week's Parsha when he says, I'm going to take the Jews out of Egypt and before I take them out of Egypt, they're going to go to their neighbors and ask for their gold and silver vessels. Now, the Jews heard this prophecy before any of the plagues began and no one let out this secret to the Egyptians. 
that before the Jews would leave Egypt, they'd strip the Egyptians of their gold and silver. The Egyptians were unsuspecting because no Jew revealed this secret. So you've got to understand this Midrash. What's the connection between keeping a secret and not speaking Lashon Hara? And the answer is, it's really an explicit pasuk in Mishlei, chapter 11, verse 13, who says, one who goes along slandering reveals secrets. Interesting. So the root problem of one who slanders is that he cannot be trusted because he reveals secrets. If a person shares secrets with others that were told in confidence, there's a fundamental problem. What is that? Because besides the aspect of slander, the person's word is not a word and he cannot be trusted. And therefore the Medrash is teaching that the reason why we were redeemed from Egypt was amongst other reasons because they were able to keep secrets. But again, the question still is what's so great about being able to keep a secret? And now we go back to that original incident. What's so important? Well, when, when, when Moshe killed the Egyptian and the next day, he saw Jews fighting. And then they they turned to Moshe. Are you going to kill us like the Egyptian? Moshe's reaction, as we said now, behold, the matter is known. And Rashi means, behold, they're letting out the secret. Now he's saying, behold, I understand that the sin of letting out the secrets is why the redemption has not come. So now, again, we come back to the fundamental question. We see from the beginning of the story in Shmos that getting out of Egypt was somehow dependent on the ability of the Jews to keep secrets, which is the source of not speaking Lashon Hara. So again, we have to ask, what's so important about the ability to keep secrets? What is this core idea of keeping secrets? And that was the secret that Dos Avir were going to tell that Moshe killed the Egyptian. The secret, but then it got corrected when the Jews did not tell the secret of taking all the Egyptian wealth when they're going to leave. The answer is that leaving Egypt was all about believing and keeping the word of Hashem. As it says again in this week's Parsha, the whole purpose of leaving Egypt was to accept the Torah and to believe in Hashem. When the master of the universe tells us to do certain things, we must believe that these things must be done because the word of God is unfallible. So Rav Matisio Solomon, the Mashkiach of Lakewood, says an important line. It's a very short one, but it's a very true statement. He says, one cannot be a ma'amin, a believer, Unless he is first a ne'eman, he is faithful. Let me say it again. One cannot be a mamin unless he's first a ne'eman. You can't be a believer in Hashem unless you're first faithful. Which means you cannot believe in the word of Hashem. That's what a believer is. Unless he himself is a person who values and is faithful to a word. If it means nothing, when I say something, then when God says something, why should I believe it? The more trustworthy a person is, and the more meticulous he is about his own words, the more he will be faithful to the word of Hashem. 
So Moshe says at the beginning of the story, I know why they are still here because they can't keep a secret. They feel the word is not a word. You're there. There's implicit. When I am saying something privately to you, the assumption is you're, you're, you're telling me you're going to keep it a secret. But if you feel a word's not a word, so what changed to indicate that they were worthy for redemption is that when Moshe came years later and Hashem trusted them with a secret not to reveal, and since they were able to keep that secret, God knew now that they could be trusted to be trustworthy and be deserving of redemption. And since they committed not to reveal the secret of taking the gold and silver, they could be trusted that when Hashem said, I am the Lord your God, his word would mean something to them as well. This is what is so important of keeping your word to know a word is holy, a word is special. And most acts of Lashonara is that we tell things that should be held secret. There's so much more to speak about Lashonara, but all these books and all these tell-alls is the worst violation of Lashon Hara. Because things are happening in privacy, there's an assumption you don't babble it out to others. Keep things quiet. And if you can't keep your secrets, so what's so bad about if you can't keep any secrets, you feel a word is nothing at all, it's nothing special, then what's the word of Hashem worth? And there's a great correlation between those who can't keep secrets those who feel they can let everything know, a word is not important. So what's so important about God's word as well? So now let's go back and try to understand some answers to the question. The Svasema says, how could it be that the Jews were for sure not going to go because of Lashon Hara? And he, first he wondered, why were the Jews suffering? When he hears Lashon Hara, oh, now I understand what's suffering. And I don't see any way for them to get out. Because we understand the only reason Hashem lets us out is if we serve Hashem. If we're not going to serve Hashem, what's the point of letting us out? And therefore, if you can't keep a secret, then you're not going to listen to Hashem's words at all. When talk is cheap, then even God's word is cheap. And that underlies, and that um, that, that, that takes away from the, the authenticity of being a Jew and wanting to keep the Torah and mitzvahs because that's all what being a Jew is all about. So that's the importance of that. And therefore, there becomes one more point as we are told by the Svesemis. Another point. He says that just as we have to believe in Hashem, although we can't understand Hashem's all his ways, we also have to believe in the Jewish people, even though they appear at some times, as the prophet says, black and ugly, black with sin, ugly with sin. The Sassam says we don't always understand what Hashem is doing, but we don't, you know, talk behind God's back. What kind of stupid God makes these kinds of things up? No. We should honor, we have to honor Hashem because we know he knows a lot more than us. And we have to know our place. And we have to know that anyone who's a, a Jew, who's in the divine image of God, carries a bit of that as well. We have to realize 
that although we see darkness in Jew, we don't understand how can a Jew do this? So I have to tell everybody about it because it's shocking things he does. Because we don't understand where Jews are coming from. We know there was a story with the Rebbe Rashab, one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, he was discussing the praises of a certain Jewish community. And one of the Hasidim was a diamond dealer and says, I don't understand why you praise them so highly. I know them and they don't seem anything special to me as well. So what did the Rebbe do? He asked the Chassid to show him the diamonds that he sells. So the Chassid took out the most precious diamonds and showed them to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says, they don't look anything special to me. Why are they so expensive? So the Chassid Rebbe, to understand a diamond, you have to be a maven. So the Rebbe said, yeah, to understand a yid, you also need to be a maven. And this is why Hashem recounts us in this week's Parsha. Rashi says, why to make known that they are loved. And we ask to who? So he says, to who? To the other Jewish people need to know this. We don't need the Goyim to know how well we are beloved. We need other Jews to know how well we are beloved. And no matter how a Jew looks, whatever level he's on, Hashem counts on him and counts him because he's special. And as Rashi says, he counts them when they're alive, he counts them when they're dead. Says the Yismach Yisro, we know the Zohar writes, dead doesn't only mean physically dead, it means when you fall from your level. That's called Nisa. So the Pusik's counting the Jewish nation, showing that Hashem loves them, even when they're spiritually dead, which means even when they fall from their levels. And then this week's parsha, Hashem is telling us, I, every Jew is so special to me, provided he's a halachic Jew. Let's not make any mistakes. If someone says a Jew, and halacha says he's not a Jew, he's not a Jew. Let's forget it. There's only one way of defining it, that's halacha. But once he's a Jew, then we don't talk bad about any Jews, especially if they're good Jews. Things happen in life. People have they get involved in certain situations are not, nece not necessarily bad situations, but things happen and we're wondering, whoa, what's the story behind this? The answer is it's not your business to know what the story behind it is. You just know one thing. He's a Jew, and if he's a Jew, we count him behind no matter what the story is, and we don't need to know the stories. And that is why the Medrash says, and now the Ksav Sofer explains the Medrash with the Malachim. When Hashem created on Russian, it says, shira. So the simple meaning is they want to say Shira before Autumn because they felt he was like God. And we, and we asked, how could you think he's like God? So the Ksav Sofer says, it doesn't mean to say to say it before him to autumn, it meant they wanted to say before him. They wanted to say Shiros before Hashem. And they figured it's logical because number one, Malachim were created on the second day of creation. Man was created on the sixth day of creation. The Malachim are more spiritual than human beings, so they figured they should sing first. That's what it means. They thought we should sing before man. But at the end of the day, man sings before them. Why? Says the Medrash, when the Malachim saw that Hashem created Adam with his own hands, so they understood he's very spiritual. But they said, but we're better, so we should be first. So what did Hashem do? He had Adam fall asleep. When the Malachim saw that Adam was human, being with worldly needs, 
They said, you know what? We all agree he should sing Shira. You know why? Because he has to overcome more challenges. We're spiritual angels. Spiritual angels have no challenges. Our singing is beautiful. But Bedavka, because a Jew is human, and he has human feelings and emotions and Yetzirah's, and if he still is a Jew, and he lives to some extent like a Jew, he believes he's a Jew, even though he may fail, but if he's hanging on as a Jew with all the anti-Semitism, he's proud to be a Jew, then he can sing before a Malach. And that's the assault we're saying over here. The whole Sefer Shoftim, the whole beginning of the Jewish people, the whole ability for the Jewish people to live and thrive and not suffer gallus. is their understanding how valuable every Jew is. And even though there are Jews who sin and Jews who make mistakes and all these things, but Hashem counts them. Even when they fall, they're still counted. Because all those failures are just stepping stones to greatness, which is a much broader topic that we'll be talking over Shabbos and all the classes. But to appreciate, and that's what makes us loyal to Hashem. If, I, if we are able to show our nemonus, our faithfulness, and to believe what Hashem says, Hashem says a lot of things in the Torah. And one of them is, he's saying, I count Jews even after they have sinned. So therefore, you have to be, you, and you're not going to believe that if you don't believe that your word is valuable. And if your word is valuable, then Hashem can trust you. And if you look and appreciate that Hashem's word is valuable, even though I don't understand it because God is complex and I can't expect to understand everything, but at least I'm faithful and loyal, then I should be faithful and loyal to other Jews. And that's going to be the source of us getting out of the goals. And therefore, when we see all these people writing books, one thing's for sure, faithful and loyal, they aren't. And if you don't think your word is important, then you don't think anybody's word's important, and not even God's word is not important. When God tells us to do something, but it's a little bit not to, to our comfort level, ah, God didn't mean it, God didn't this, God didn't that. You know why you have the chutzpah to say such a thing? Because you don't believe in your own words. And, that's why, and never you can give away secrets and everything. This is an amazing thing for us to work on as we start in Shovim. Shovim, in years gone by, people would do all kinds of self-mortifications and fasts and this. We know we're not on the level. But the great Hasidic masters say that if you hold back from saying something you want to say, it's equivalent to fasting 84 fasts. That's how valuable this is, and that's something we have to refocus. In general, we're a beautiful community, but you know, the answer sneaks certain things in. I don't think too many of us would get up and say something really nasty about people, but sometimes we're just curious and to know, well, what's the story? Let's hear the juicy details. We want the tell-all. That is mamish antithetical to being a Jew. And to write books that are tell-alls, that will include lots of lush and horror. Lots of people who are uh, not upholding their word. They're breaking confidences. Why do you want to read such a thing? Why do you want to see how 
how low humanity is. Is there a curiosity that you have? And the real solution to this problem, the rabbis tell us, is by learning Torah. It can be repaired through learning Torah because we know that everything depends on Torah. The Navi says that death and life are in the hands of the tongue. And if our tongues are busy studying Torah and wanting to understand Torah, that means we believe that God's word is important. Every time you get studying Talmud, Chumash, and you read it, why are you reading it? If, you, if God's word's not important, why are you learning Torah? But if you are learning Torah, and you say, I want to know God's word, and because why? Because his word is important, and I want to keep his words, then you know what? If you find something that's important, then you can find that you might be important. And that's why the redemption is only is mainly contingent on not speaking Lashonara, not uh, taking away confidences, telling God, but that's only going to happen if you learn Torah. That's the message. So now let's share two stories. We'll start with the second story and we'll explain the first story with this. There was a great Jew named Rav Amram Blau who he didn't have, he, he had to deal with fake news in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. There was lots of fake news. Even though he founded the Natura Karta, it's not the Natura Karta we have now. And maybe people should, and maybe he's not judged so favorably by certain people because he didn't have the right press. And to know that Rav Moshe Blau, who was an Agudas Yisrael activist, and a sixth generation of the old Yishuv. He headed the Haredi community in Yerushalayim, working with the Yishuv leaders. And there was another great rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, was the chief and co-founder of the Haredi Jewish community in Jerusalem during the years of the British Mandate of Palestine. Those are two great people. Needless to say, neither of the above mentioned ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, supported mar mar modernity or anything associated with it. They weren't interested in it. They fought hard to maintain the old Yishuv and its strict standards of modesty and gender separation. Just to get a, a background to these two people. So Rav Moshe Blau, one of the things he was very uh, active in, unfortunately, the secular, godless Israeli Zionist secular government was anti-Judaism. We all know that's a fact. And part of anti-Judaism means that you desecrate the Shabbos publicly and you don't keep any status quos, etc., etc. And you do what you can to have buses running on Shabbos, this and that. Now, believe it or not, that's a great Chil Hashem in the Holy Land of Israel where we, we don't allow equity and inclusion to include desecrating God's name. It's not part of equity and inclusion. Equity and inclusion means we'll take converts if they want to be Jews properly. So this Ramosha Blau had a tremendous love for God. Every Shabbos would protest a certain um, Chil Shabbos. And every week the police came and smashed him and smashed him and smashed him. 
And the next time he come back and they'd smash him again. It was peaceful protest. Peaceful protest. That's the truth. And they'd smash him and smash him. This went on for a long time. One week, as the guy comes to smash for Moshe Bell, Moshe Bell was a big guy. He takes the policeman with both hands, lifts him up in the air and puts him to his face. There's one way every week I don't defend myself. You see how strong I am? I could beat you up to a pulp. You know why I don't hit back? Because you're a Jew. And one day you may do teshuva. And you may do teshuva out of love. And when you do teshuva out of love, all your averis will turn into mitzvahs. And then retroactively, me hitting you now, I will be held liable by God for hitting a tzaddik. Therefore, I don't hit you now. That changed a lot of the attitudes of those secular policemen to him. And they're able to have a little more friendlier relationship. Because that's who Rav Moshe Blau really was. A lover of the word of Hashem. When Hashem says we keep Shabbos, he means it. When Hashem says keep Shabbos, it doesn't mean, well, I keep Shabbos a little bit, but you know, I have to I have to do this and I have to do that because it's inconvenient for me, blah, 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 blah. Hashem's word's not important. Then I guess you're not worthy for redemption. Hashem's word is important to the point he gets himself beaten up every week, but he also knows a Jew is important. Now you have to ask yourself a question. Where did Rav Moshe Blau get such a good Jewish understanding of what we have? And now we have to go to an incident that happened before this. And the story Rav Moshe Blau himself said when he talked about his relationship with his Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. He says, one day I left Sharet Tzedek Hospital with my Rebbe. It was Tubishvat. And in the Zionist movement, Tupichvat was and is a big event as it celebrates the people's connection to the land. Now, of course, Tupichvat is a wonderful holiday. We have to understand how to celebrate. But anyway, but it's a big holiday in Israel. So I noticed that from far away, the students from the secular non-religious schools were approaching us. Now, remember, it's like in the 1920s. Boy, and there's a lot more tzniyas in those days. And boys and girls together, male and female teenagers with the Zionist flag at the front of each group, the workers' songs coming from their mouths. There were four abreast and the people on the street were pushed to the sides of the road. Now, Rav Blau says, I knew that the sight of a few thousand boys and girls from non-religious schools walking in a parade, immodestly dressed, and without gender separation would cause Rav Yosef Chaim Zonafel pain. There I said to him, the parade of children from the non-religious schools is coming. Perhaps the Rebbe wants to go back into the hospital building and wait till it passes. To which Rav Yosef Chaim Zonafel said no. And then Rav Yosef then asked, are these not Jewish children? 
And as the parade continued, they stood outside. He says, we were pushed to the side of the road, as was everyone else. The parade continued as each Jew school marched in its own contingent with the sound of their songs penetrating the air. And Ramosha Blau says, I see the Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zerifel is murmuring with his lips. And I bent my ear towards him and I hear him saying and repeating the Pasig at the Hillam that means in English, May the Lord add upon you, upon you and upon your children. Blessed are you to the Lord. He kept murmuring those words until the entire parade passed us. End of the story. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zolva was not a secular Zionist. Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zolva did not approve of mixed activities. He did not approve of quote-unquote modern approaches to Judaism. However, he never lost sight of that one single truth which is in the forefront of all his actions. Are these not Jewish children? And therefore, Rav Moshe Blau could understand when a policeman is hitting him, he also knows, are these not Jewish children? And they all have a spark of divinity inside of them. And therefore, just like God says, I will never let the Jewish people be totally lost. The shovel they'll all come back. Every Jew has that godliness in him. And that's what Hashem has told me. And Hashem's word is a word. And therefore, if we only would appreciate how great every Jew is internally, no matter how he may look now, and may look like he's doing things that are unusual and questionable, if we want to be redeemed from this exile and finally come back with Mashiach, have to be a person who doesn't run after knowing the story, but rather running after trying to espouse all the beauty of every single Jew, even if we disagree with them, but to know how valuable they are and to count them even in their death. Because one day we'll all arise, Sadiqim, when the Mashiach will come, Pimheriv Yameinu, Amen. Thank you all for listening.